Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, aka The Dark Web. And in case you're new to the show, welcome and let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling an awesome, wacky, and yes, sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, The Transformers. But I am never going at it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companions. And it looks like, you know, we've settled things down and it's just back to the normal crew of, you know, Delvin, Pat, and John. Like that's that's pretty yeah, well, it's, it's good to be back. Back in the Absolutely. Transformers saddle. I know. I mean, we've had these things, you know, just crazy and everything, and now we've just settled down to just the original three Man. again. Can you guys it's, believe we're on episode twenty nine? We've done twenty nine of these. I have definitely talked about twenty eight of these issues with y'all. That is right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. It it is very hard to believe, Pat. And and since since I have you, you know, on the horn here, uh let's introduce to everyone who, despite his lifelong love of comics, has never encountered Marvel's Transformers until now. And he wants mm-hmm. to see what the fuss is all about with these robots in disguise. His name is Pat Sampson, AJ, AJ, mm-hmm. <laughs> AKA DJ Christatos. Mm-hmm. Pat, how have you been, man? Well, Delvin, I've been doing good. And like I said, I, I really can't believe that it's been, you know, over a couple of years now. We've been doing this. We're at 29. Yep. The series ends in what, 80? Yep. 84 issues 80. it went? 80? 80 oh, 80 wow. Issues. So we're mm-hmm. about quarter of the way through? Or, I don't know. What? I'm a yeah. Almost at three eighths, which is 37.5%. So, yeah. yeah. So I think my knowledge has definitely gone up about that, maybe. Well, that's that's good. Yeah. We're getting you spun up. Like, I mean, you can recognize certain Transformers. You can maybe mm-hmm. remember some storylines that yep. happened and everything. So yep. it's good to see that you're growing and, and coming along with all the goodness that is the Transformers. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without you too, Delvin and John helping me along the way, my mentors. <laughs> happy, happy to be here for you, Pat. Oh, I, Every step of the way. Without you, John, I just would have been lost in this big sea of Transformers that are out there right now. There are a lot of Transformers, especially in this issue. There are puddles. There it is. There is. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, since since we have them talking, you know, we have our Transformers expert here, the lesser half of Mary Washington Cartoon. Wait, wait, hold on, wait. That's that's Jonathan Schaefer Hames. That's that's. How did you find me out? You that's not who you are, though, right? You're you're I, different, John. I'm pretty sure. Oh, you've discovered my secret. Mm. I have unmasked. <laughs> Take off that beard. I know John couldn't grow that. <laughs> That that is that is a luxurious beard, and we should introduce the John that's here on the show. It's it's not John Jonathan Schaefer Haynes. It is not Maggie, who's uh, normally with a suit. Hi, Maggie. But it is instead John Wilson, who you might know from his podcast Make Ours Marvel. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have been. Uh, hoping to be on here at some point ever since I discovered your show way back in the early days towards around issue 10 or 11, I think, is when I first came across you. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Pat was um, not, not not a newborn babe, but toddler in the way of yeah, It was an elementary or so, probably in my The diapers were a little bit of an awkward look, Pat, just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> they chafed too, so. 
But at this point now, he's a latchkey kid. We can leave him in the house by himself. You know, he's not going to just take things out of the medicine cabinet. Things are good. It's growth, John. It's growth. It's a good thing. You're new to the show, though. So we have to ask a couple of questions that we ask every newcomer. And the first one is, what was your introduction to the Transformers? So I've thought about this question because there's a long version. (laughs) that I'm going to try to trim down here because I don't remember a really time in my life before Transformers. I was born in 79, so I was five when the show hit, which I Mm -hmm. think is exactly the age that you can latch on to these characters and live with them and love them for the rest of your life. Um, I saw the 1986 movie in the theaters, um, and I had an Optimus Prime. I actually have a visual memory of putting the stickers on my Optimus Prime. I had a Jetfire. I never liked the name Skyfire. I never really, as a kid, understood why he looked different, but he was one of my faves. Had a Metroplex, had a Power Mouther Optimus Prime. Um, and then once they stopped making episodes new in the US, and I didn't know they had gone over to the UK, um, I was watching the toys and the toys were, be- to my impression were becoming blockier and less interesting so i stopped buying them and i thought the pretenders were one of the craziest ideas at that point i realized that transformers had just gone off the rails um spoilers i now have a rather secret love for the pretenders i like them a lot but um (laughs) but then as an adult uh as i I don't know if i'm the only one who did this but maybe a lot of us went back and started reinvestigating the stuff we liked when we were young uh found out about the marvel transformers comics read through all 80 issues uh, found out that there was a whole UK series that started, you know, stories interweaving between those. And I've read most of those. Um, I'm on a journey right now to reread that entire series. So as I've been reading along with your show, I've actually been reading the UK editions, which generally take one of the US issues and spread it out over two. Mm-hmm. And then every couple or four US issues, they'll do a, several story arcs of their own original material. Um, so they fill in a lot of extra there. I, I've had so many more Dinobot stories than y'all have, for example. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so I've just been reading Transformers comics, watching Transformers cartoons. Um, I enjoyed the first Transformers live action film. And although I think the other ones have a lot of issues that I, I've tried to find something I like in all of them. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've read these comics to my kids. Oh, quick story my son so i showed him transformers first season second season he was five six years old we watched transformers the movie and we get to that scene and my Mm. little six-year-old boy bursts into tears Mm. and starts wailing that he wants his optimus prime back he just wants optimus prime back and Mm. i just had to hold him and pause the movie and then we go on to Weird Al on Junkie on after that. But, you know, it was a really, really good memory. He kind of hates that I tell that story now because he's 12. And 12-year-olds hate what happened when they were six. But anyways, that's the shortened version of a, of a very long story. Yes, 12 and 6 was so long ago. Like, I mean, we discussed, like, Pat, like, around issue 11 or 12. He was, like, 6. But now yeah. he didn't like talking about past podcasts. Mm-hmm. He, he was like, oh, like, that was old me. That, that was so long ago. Like, I'm a latchkey kid now the transformer so i get it i do understand that that was a touching story and before i get to misty i do have to ask you who are your favorite transformers i don't have a number that you can start or stop at but you know just go for it who, who are some of your favorite transformers and why 
I loved the uh, uh, Jetfire toy. Um, I was never a Robotech watcher. So mm. the fact that he was from Robotech, just kind of like, oh, okay, that's why he looks different. But I loved his look. Um, I liked the fact that his hands could come out and he could fight while he was still in a jet form. His legs and arms can come out. Um, and I really, really liked the uh, Power Master version of Optimus Prime. I kept those two in their styrofoam packaging for years and years and years. Um, and the Power Master concept in general, especially the way it's done in the anime, uh, the Super God Master Force season uh, of the anime, I just really, really like that corner of Transformers. So those will be my faves. Okay. Pat has no idea what you're talking about when it comes to Power Master. Okay. And I will, I will ask if you not to explain it to him at all what that means, John. Uh, so does anyone have anything else they'd like to regale us with for introductions or shall I continue? We all recently talked about the death of Optimus Prime. And as I was reading and getting mm-hmm. caught up in my reading for the episodes, I realized there are like five deaths of Optimus Prime that happened in all in the space of like six months. So can I go through these just real quick and then we'll dig into the issue. So you're in the UK, you're reading your comics, you get this big epic story called Target 2006. And it opens with Optimus Prime and Prowl, or no, it's Jazz, and one other Transformer disintegrating into thin air. And for weeks, Optimus Prime is dead. They don't know what happened to him or why he died, but he's dead. At the end of the story, turns out that whenever, because there's a time travel element involved, whenever characters time traveled back to the present day, they displaced those three Transformers, and so Optimus Prime comes back. But for weeks, you think he's dead. That's one death. Then he dies in the movie, so that's two deaths. Then he, um, you're watching the cartoon, and they find his um, body on a ship, and they bring him back to life as Zombie Optimus Prime. And at the end of that cartoon, he flies into a, a planet or a sun or something. So you think he's died again. That's three deaths. Um, and he dies in the comics, the one that y'all talked about. That's four deaths. And I'm blanking on the fifth one, but I did count five. There were five deaths he had in the space of just a few months of cartoons and comics and the movie and everything. And I was like, wow, they really played that hand until there were no cards left, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And we kind of talked about that, I think, in issue 24, episode 24 of Transformers Chronicles, where there are many deaths of Optimus Prime. And it's almost came to a point where it's like a trope in itself, where it's like, hey, we're going to start a new Transformers series. Guess who's going to die? Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, my Optimus? God, they killed Prime. <laughs> you bastards. So. That was interesting. Five times in such a short span. It's like, yeah, you would think that it's overdone, but somehow it did not completely overplay Optimus Prime's hands. He is very much still an iconic character uh, today. Uh, And uh, he still is, his absence is being felt right now in Transformers 29, which I guess is a good transition for me to continue. You segued like a master. Man, you know, sometimes you just land that plane just right. And so I feel pretty good about it. So as we coast along the runway, the purpose of this podcast will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series end at issue 80. We're going to answer all the questions that we can to the best of our ability and see how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be you guessed it more than meets the eye so john and pat let's meet the triple changers under some really bad circumstances 
right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 29, and here is John with the cover description. As usual, because I often do the cover description. Um, <laughs> we've got in the cover box Optimus Prime standing there all uh, formidable and and alive before uh, above the number 29, and the cover is dominated by Blaster's face upside down because he's actually laying being overcome by all these little tiny monster robots like mad balls when you were a kid they're just like swarming all yes. over him and um they all look different they're colorful they've got goofy evil looks to them and this the copy says scrapped by the scraplets and uh, blaster looks like he is either having a very bad time or a very good time it really <laughs> just depends on the, what that face is and introducing the triple changers at the bottom and now that John has so expertly described the cover, um, Pat, what do you think about this cover? I kind of like it. I, I think what really sells it is all the little detail in the scraplets. There's so much variety in them, and they look, as John said, kind of devilishly and, and fun. Like, I can see, like, these just kind of taking over, like, little gremlins in that just all over and trying to get uh, Blaster. And I like the the simple logo of the Transformers and the back, white background, I think, really just makes the rest of it pop and put your focus on Blaster's head with all the scraplets around it. What about you, John? Um, I like the idea. I have to confess that whenever I uh, saw this cover, I was like, ah, I don't really like. Well, first of all, y'all have, I don't know if y'all have really talked about this. I don't remember hearing that you talked about it, but I really don't like Blaster's comic book design compared to his cartoon design. So that's part of what's rubbed me the wrong way. And I realize I should get over it because it's not going anywhere, but that's just me. Um, so, I mean, it's all right. The, the different monsters are, it, it's, it's a nice bit of variety. I just think that their silliness undercuts the actual menace in the book. And so it looks more goofy than I think should be conveyed. See, I, I didn't see it as goofy. Especially like, you know, like that kind of rotund one, like standing on top of Blaster, you know, looking a little bit menacing. But I, I do get what you're saying. And it, I look at it and I definitely like, it, to me, it looked like Blaster was in peril. So it's like, why are these little critters, like how could they affect something so big as and powerful as Blaster? Like, so it definitely would leave me 
intrigued to find out more. And the question that I always bring up when it comes to any comic book cover that I'm reviewing is, would it make me want to read the book? And looking at it, and if I knew a little bit about Transformers, I'd be like, what in the heck is going on? What what are these little creatures? Who are the scraplets? It would kind of make me want to do it. So, um, and well, we'll talk about who drew it in a little bit. Well, I'll talk about it now. Bob Budiansky is the one who drew it, which makes me even more impressed because I knew he drew a few covers from the Transformers. And when I saw the covers credits went to him, I'm like, dang, this is pretty well done. It looks like it wasn't a rush job. It was just kind of one of those where it's like, well, who's going to draw the cover this month? And Bob's like, you know what? I'll take it. And I don't know. I like it. I, I, I respect the effort that he put forth here. A bit of rushing would have made all those little creatures look a lot less interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. They would not all have had distinctive looks. And they all are very distinctive. And there's probably about 20 of them on the cover yep. that he fit there. So I I like it. Is it an all-timer? Probably not. Is it good to me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is. And we will find out how good when we rate the thing. If you don't know, we rate things here on Transformers Chronicles on a scale of 1 to 10, like the tech specs of old one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, and John is going to rate it now. Um, I'm going to come in at a 7 on this. It's, it's a good composition. I just didn't like what, to me, came off as silliness with the creatures. Um, the fact that it is Bob Budiansky does impress me a bit because I don't get a chance to see his art very much, and this is pretty great. Yeah, I'm going to go with a 7. I'm going to just go up a little bit at an 8 with it um, because of the detail that I saw in the robots or in the scraplets that I liked. I liked the coloring of it too. I think it plays well, nicely together. Give it going with an eight. What about you, Delvin? Man, you know, something, something, Joe November. I'm, I'm right in the middle with you guys. Mm-hmm. And since I can't go have these because uh, it is a strict rule here at the long box group say to not. It is. Yes. It is. I know. I'm very aware of it for all these episodes. <laughs> See, even John knows about it. Even and John he's been here for 28. <laughs> oh, wait. 28 plus this one. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So I, I will give it an eight. It, it's good. And it's like on that great side of good to where like I am impressed that a writer is the one who did this cover. I didn't and, even know that until you said that. So mm-hmm. it, that's and, really even cool. That's cool. It is. And this isn't the first one he's drawn. And I give, man, I give Budiansky credit. I, I kind of want to know why he hadn't ever done any interior covers for any books, actually, because I don't recall him doing that for any issue, but neither here nor there. Uh, but what's not neither here nor there are the credits for this issue that Pat's about to read. All right, Dylan, I am glad you asked. Let me get to those cover credits. Issue is Transformers number 28, but it's on sale date was March 17th, 1987. Wow, such a long time ago. Cover date was June 1987. Cover price was $1. Story is by Bob Budiansky. Pencils, Don Perlin. Inks, Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Colors go to Nelson Yamtav. Letters is Janice Chang. Editor, Don Daly. And as we said before, the cover credits go to Bob Budiansky. All this is brought to you by Mike's Amazing World and TFWiki.net. Back to you, Delvin. Thanks, Pat. Let's get to the synopsis. 
It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the The title of this issue was Crater Critters. Welcome to Transformers 29, a tale of horror and conflict. I'll talk about the conflict. It's easier to summarize. There was conflict between Goldbug and GB Blackrock, as the Autobot, along with his buddy Blaster, has decided to strike out on their own in the fight against Decepticons and need a source of intel to point them in the right direction. GB helps the Autobot duo at the expense of a fun night, presumably, with his date. There's conflict with Ratbat and wasteful fuel consumption. Ratbat wants to help out his Decepticon brethren, but doesn't want to keep using a space bridge, so he commissioned a spacecraft to send stuff to Earth instead. When that mission mysteriously fails, Ratbat dispatches the triple changers Octane, Astro Train, and Blitzwing via the space bridge to A, find out what happened, and B, continue to execute the plan Ratbat has sprung into action. There's conflict with Andrew Fong and his boss, who are examining a crater where a spacecraft has mysteriously fallen to Earth, and yes, it's the same one Ratbat sent. Andrew eventually runs into Goldbug and Blaster and gets to that crater where there is, you guessed it, more conflict. There's conflict between Goldbug and Blaster, who are having trust issues to work out, and the fight with the Triple Changers does, it doesn't seem to help that one bit. And finally, there's a straw that's stirring this whole conflict drink, the Scraplets, a disease plague which infected the spaceship pilot, the Triple Changers, Blaster, and Goldbug. So let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comic, starting with, but not limited to, goods and bads, and everyone discusses. John, what did you think? I was pleasantly surprised by this. Uh, I will confess that whenever you said we're going to do issues 29, I saw it was a Scraplets one. I was like, weren't this Scraplets kind of Craplets? But I was actually <laughs> surprised. This uh, this played pretty well. Um, one of my first thoughts going into the book was whenever that first uh, Scraplet comes off of the dying Decepticon, it reminded me of the living gears and pulleys evolution from the very first issue. Um because you just see basically a nut that you might see in any machine pop off. Mm. And that's what these things start out as before they turn into their robot forms. Uh, so I just thought that was pretty neat. I don't know if that was an intentional homage, but I'm taking it as one. Mm. Okay. All right. Pat, what you got? Um, I, I do agree with John on this. I was, again, pleasantly surprised like John was on it. I was expecting this one to be kind of like a one-off. I didn't know there's a continuation of it. Uh, with the story that's happening with the scraplets, I thought it was kind of interesting uh, going into it. I think what would really make this an interesting story is if it was like maybe out on the spaceship and mm -hmm. it was kind of like contained in the spaceship. And then you had like sort of know, a dying in space kind of thing. Yeah. So kind of something like that. And, and just kind of contained in that area uh, would be kind of interesting to see how that would happen. But because now with it on Earth, it's like, will they ever go away? Do they, how do they get rid of them? I don't know. But I think we'll find out in the next issue. 
I can see that being a cartoon plot where a uh, leader Decepticon on Cybertron sends three or four Decepticons to Earth in a ship, and as they're flying along, they discover this disease yeah. and it just ravages yeah, them yeah. over the course of the ish- of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be kind of a cool side story to see how how they got there. You know, instead of just the oh they were passing in space. Oh, if they were just passing in space, would have they ever gotten to Earth, or just happened to be at the time that this guy was there? And you know, I, it's an interesting concept. I really like it. Because it's like these little, you know, little critters, little, it's like sticking your hand or your foot around fire ants. All of a sudden, all oh, they start coming on you and it's like, oh, they start biting you and chewing on you and knocking, you know, getting in on you and making you itch and all that. Ooh. And enough literally could kill you. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some fire ants on me and I was like, oh man, that really, and then they bite you and they just make you itch and, oh. Mm-hmm. What Not about you, Devin? So y'all. I kind of got, you know, questions for, for y'all, you know, being the narrator and stuff. I I should sort of try and do that. But then the question is, it seems like you guys were expecting to be underwhelmed by this storyline. I mean, this is part one, at least. I mean, so did you leave the book underwhelmed or did you leave the book properly whelmed or did you leave the book like, this is freaking, freaking great. This was the most amazing story I've ever heard. John. Um, I came out wanting to know what happens next, um, especially with the drama at the end with Bumblebee, uh, sorry, Goldbug, very mm-hmm. much apologize, with Goldbug um, apparently abandoning Blaster. Not only is Blaster living, you know, down there fighting for his life while Goldbug appears to drive off, but we just reminded everybody that he had to leave somebody and watch them die. Uh, so now he's on the other side of that fence. So there's, a, there's definitely some emotional drama there. Mixed in with the fact, can we find a cure? Where are we going to find a cure? So yeah, I am I am eager for the resolution of the story. Pat, I agree with John. I think really the the star of this issue isn't the scraplets; it's the character moments in this one. And but what's really underlying is the scraplets concern as it builds and builds and builds towards the end. And you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen? You know, it it puts Goldbug in that situation of do I leave my buddy? Mm-hmm. You know, when we've had this big conversation about people leaving and not leaving, you know, and Blaster gives a story about his, his, you know, his friend that he had this watch, you know, perish or whatever. And, and then now it's like the, the reverse is turned, but you also have that bigger threat going on now of these scraplets that can take out anybody or can take out the Autobots just like that. And if they can take out the Autobots, can't they, they can probably take out human technology as well too now. So that's, yeah, that, that I just thought about it. I'm like, Whoa, wow. The the humans got an issue now too. Cause if they're taking out the mechanical stuff, maybe they'll latch onto the other mechanical stuff and eat that unless they only go after sentient beings. Uh, you know, I guess maybe because they weren't really chomping out on the spacecraft at all. They were just really chomping on the guy, right? Yeah, looks like they weren't really hitting the spacecraft. They kind of like the living beings more than the okay not living beings. And since the spacecraft wasn't living, it was just a spacecraft. It looks like they got to the pilot and it's possible it, the pilot. It's possible though that. Uh, we're just not seeing them having eaten the spacecraft because the sure. spacecraft did crash. And that could be just because the pilot was sick and dying or because the pilot and the ship were both sick and dying. We just don't mm-hmm. know. And I don't know if it's a point worth, worth pushing that hard. I just say it, the, the second half of this could go either way. Absolutely can. And before How about you, Delvin? Were you whelmed? 
before we get too far off of it, I'm, and I'm going to I'm going to answer that question, John. I just want to mention just some of the points you brought up. It makes me you both brought up. It makes me smile and and makes me realize why the heck that you might ever want to podcast about a book like this that you didn't think about as a child. And one of the things that I noticed of being a grown up was Bob definitely put it out there that Go Bug and Blaster, they were buddies, but they were kind of having a little bit of conflict. Uh, just in, in, while they were together, they, there was a little bit of some trust issues going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was played up. And then John just brings up the excellent point about them mentioning how Blaster had to abandon, um, his buddy Scrounge and let him die in order to protect the greater good. And Goldbug was kind of in disbelief that he did that. And then sure enough, at the end of the issue, Goldbug had to not abandon Blaster, but he wanted to go help him find a, or find a cure for the scraplets. And that's another point that I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. This kind of had a zombie movie feel. Yeah. In that, like, if you look at a show like The Walking Dead or really any zombie anything, it's never about the zombies. No. Zombies are always the backdrop. It is usually some human drama or human element that is the main driver of the story. And that's what happened here. Like, the Scraplets were a pretty scary backdrop to where uh, when they got to the ledge or, of the canyon and that one scraplet was there and they're like oh i see him and made a jump after bumblebee but missed them and only because bumblebee hesitated on what he was doing did he get infected by the scraplets and so yeah like the whole thing was like there was definitely some good interplay going on in the book that was super enjoyable yeah. also I was just discussion y'all I was just wondering, why can't he, why didn't he just communicate to him? They were already talking to Blaster when Blaster said, here's my plan. You know, we're going to, you know, I'm going to start kicking some butt and you're going to come in and take these guys out. Well, there is a rule that you can't actually communicate healthily in a comic book. Like there is no relationship in comics where people actually talk to each other. Uh, <laughs> because then. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I knew it was because of the story, but I'm like, man, why don't you just. Hey, I'm running. I'm going to go help you later. I'll be right back. Or just, I'm looking for the cure. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. They did ask. Andrew asked Goldbug, yeah, hey, he, dude, why, like, why won't, what, just explain it to him. And, and Goldbug's like, he wouldn't believe me anyway. Yeah, I guess. And it was oh, kind yeah. of one of those. And it wasn't that he necessarily doubted Blaster, but like Blaster was understandably pissed. Like, you're leaving me to fight three dudes. I'm getting my butt kicked. Like, help me. And well, Goldbug's like, I, I, I got to go. And even if you're like, well, I have to go and there's this legitimate reason. It's like, sweet. That's awesome. I'm getting my butt kicked now. <laughs> I don't yes. care what you're doing that's going to produce results three days from now. Help me now. So I, I get that from Blaster. He just didn't he, he, go. But what is he wouldn't listen. But is What's interesting about that, as you say that, that's what Blaster did to exactly. his partner. He and did. he couldn't see that. Not in that moment. No. Yeah. And granted, Blaster is in a very high, elevated emotional moment right now because he's fighting True. for his life against, you know, the three triple changers. Um, he's also just kind of a fiery personality, this this Blaster is. He's not the mm-hmm. laid back, rhyming dude of the cartoon <laughs> yeah he's he's more action and brawn and you know i'm i'm, I'm all that 
than what anything else, I think. Agreed, Pat. They have Bob Budiansky has portrayed Blaster from his beginning in Transformers 17 as a bot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, to where he had some folks like uh, our Perceptor uh, when they were back on Cybertron. That was kind of like, well, we need to wait, sit back, conserve, be more careful. And Blaster's like, nope, we're charging forward. And that's kind of what he was doing here to where he saw the, the Decepticons and immediately was like, we got to go smash them. And not even necessarily figure out rhyme or reason or anything. He wanted to just, just you know, smash the Decepticons, the triple changers. John, do you have anything you want to bring up? Um, I am always amused at Ratbat's prominence in this series. And he's always upside down. It reminds me of the Night Hobbs stupid bat from the Neverending Story. They kind of have the same face. Of course, they're both bats. But, um, you know, in the Autobots, they lose Optimus and they get Grimlock. The Decepticons on Cybertron lose Straxus and they get Ratbat, who seems to be a glorified accountant. I'm not sure who fared worse in that deal. And in the cartoon, in, in, in the Headmaster's cartoon, Ratbat is literally just a bat, a flappy winged bat. And uh, here he's a, he's a whole person. But um, he just, he makes me laugh. Yeah, he definitely had a position of prominence. And it would be interesting to see how he, I mean, they never gave like Ratbat's backstory. He was just introduced kind of as this fuel auditor. So uh, it would be interesting if someone ever went back and did a backstory about how Ratbat rose to that prominent position because they mentioned in the book that he had a lush office. Lush or plush, one of those posh, fancy words. That was the office that Ratbat had. So, he and what would a bat consider lush? Just like lots of lots of twigs to hang from. Possibly, I don't, I don't know. The lactites, maybe. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe a giant computer with a human sitting at it, figuring out criminals. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Pat, what do you got? Well, on that rat bat kind of guy, I, I thought interesting character uh, to see that he's some sort of an auditing guy. But my question to you is, with the bridge, it can just show up anywhere. I thought it only came out in that one place. Now they can move this bridge around to where they wanted no, to. I don't. I don't think it was ever welded to one place. Okay. It was just they could send it to whatever point on Earth that they needed to. Yeah, I don't think it was okay. just. Uh, I thought it was that they order. always. Yeah, you know, I thought in the last few they would always bring it out to that one place out in the, you know, uh, where the there's or five Autobots stood for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I see them just. Yeah, in Oregon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe no, this is that same place. No, they, they come uh, up right it, by the. It's in Arizona. Yeah. Um, that's oh. where the crater. That's where the spacecraft crashed. Oh yeah. And okay. So we changed that's, states. Mm-hmm. They changed states. Goldbug had to travel there. He found um, GB Blackrock in Portland, Oregon, and then uh, GB gave them the intel, and it led mm-hmm. them to Arizona. It's cool to see GB again. Hmm. With uh, his not great date. (laughs) Well, the date was going fine until he went from the fancy car to driving her in a Volkswagen. (laughs) She didn't appreciate that. Well, at least didn't hit her and say, slug ball, go yellow. (laughs) Maybe he did. Maybe that's what made her so mad at the end. (laughs) See, what GB should have said is like, if you love me at my fine wines and dinner, then you should love me also in my VW bug here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was a test for you. That was a test. I wanted you to see me at my highest and my lowest. You failed the test. 
They're driving and oh. a voice says, it's not slug bug, it's gold bug. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, we can talk about gold bug real quick. Did y'all notice his uh, car looking different in the first half and then changing in the second half? No. Do tell. In the first half, his car mode looks like Bumblebee. And in the second half, his car mode looks like a more boxy car, a gold, new gold bug car. Hmm. It's interesting because hmm. they made it a point to mention on page three. GB was like, is that Bumblebee? It looks like, like him, but like his color was it. Yeah, it's like looks like him, but his color is different. So he thought it might be Bumblebee. But so they at least noted that there was a change, even if like the art was a little bit mixed up. And I think they try to do that with the coloring as well, too. I think they give it more of a deeper yellow mm-hmm. uh, from what I noticed. And then, oh, you know, his face is different. Mm-hmm. Can I talk a little bit about how he became Goldbug in the UK? Because it's different. Go for it. So I know that y'all kind of skipped over the Transformers G.I. Joe crossover, which having read it recently, that was a good choice. Um, the only thing of note that comes out of that crossover is that Bumblebee gets rebuilt in the Goldbug. But in the UK, they also just completely did not reprint that uh, miniseries until years later. So they had to do their own story of how he became Goldbug. Now, in the UK, continuity right now in 1986-87, Ultra Magnus from Cybertron is on Earth, involved in stories, just not the stories that are reprints from the US. You see him doing other stuff. And Galvatron from the future has time traveled back to 1986-87 to get away from um, Rodimus Prime. So Rodimus hires a bounty hunter to go find Galvatron. And I don't know if you're familiar with the comic book character Death's Head, but Death's Head, mm-hmm. this is his first appearance. He's a bounty hunter, and he finds out that Galvatron skipped back in time. So he skips back in time, shoots the first robot he sees, which is Bumblebee, and blows him to pieces. Mm-hmm. And then whenever they realize that, when he realizes that he blew up the wrong guy, um, he doesn't rebuild Bumblebee. I'm actually blanking right now on who rebuilds Bumblebee, but um, somebody rebuilds Bumblebee into Goldbug in that story, and so that he it's just a different way that he became Goldbug. Yeah, he was rebuilt into Goldbug by GI Joe, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And the, in the U.S. side, he was. In the U.K., mm-hmm. it was different. Yes. Yeah. U.S. side, they're kind of like, oops. <laughs> so sorry maybe we shouldn't have blown you up that was a little rash and so they put them back together mostly a little humpty dumpty situation going on there yeah uh but there was also some more new robots that were introduced besides Goldbug. there was there's the triple changers Pat, triple changers any, well, you, you know thoughts on them i don't think they really did a lot with them in this issue at at all they you know they kind of introduced them and then they just came they landed they got down, they got uh, taken over by the scraplets, and then as they try to fly away, you got a little fight with Blaster, and that's about it. You really don't see them changing much into, uh, you know, what they what they change into. And, and is the concept that they do change into, like, three different things, or yeah, is that what each one can change into three different vehicles? Or, There's a robot, or a robot and a flying vehicle and a land vehicle. A vehicle. Okay. And you're right, they bring no attention to it. Well, they use not? them, but they're just not emphasized. Yeah, they they did not overemphasize it, but you got to see them in all three of their modes. Oh, maybe all I just didn't see that. In all three of their modes, mm-hmm. yeah, um, because Blaster shot them. Oh, in the I air, suppose, yeah. And they were all jets, and then they said, "All right, we're not being effective here." Then they changed into their land modes and tried to uh, uh, run a ra- Blaster off of the cliff, 
You're right. It's the blaster fight where they use both. Mm -hmm. And then they changed into robot modes and and started fighting them there, too. Oh, yeah. I guess I kind of looked over that one. Yep. I see a train tank and and a gas tanker or some sort of a tank thing. One thing about the art in this series, generally speaking, is they don't always seem to bring the big visuals to the big moments. I mean, yes, Optimus Prime got to blow up really big, but like the part where Blaster is shooting at them in the sky and then they turn into land vehicles, I just would have added more size to those visuals, whether within the panel or in a bigger panel to emphasize that, hey, these are triple changers. They've got three forms. Yeah. We've had that talk before, and I don't know whether it was just a sign of the times in the 80s, but there weren't very many huge splash pages. I don't know if the splash pages would have been just more difficult to draw because they're big old honking transformers with all these movable parts or not, or Mm -hmm. whether it was just the uh, premise of the story to keep things kind of just within the page, so, so to speak. But yeah, I do agree that they could have, I I don't think any of the triple changes were badly drawn by any means, but I do think that they could have been spotlighted a little bit more in the things that they did in the book. But maybe that's not a bad thing because as part of the story, I really, it really wasn't about them. No, that's true. It was about, you know, the, the character moments with Goldbug and Blaster and, you know, with the scrap blitz as well too. just that whole story. And they were just kind of there in the background, giving them some sort of a, a, you know, an enemy to, you know, a common enemy. And then, then with that going, Hey, maybe we need to, and maybe this will happen. Maybe blaster and those guys will now kind of, we need to have a truth and we got to figure this out to get out of this hole we're in with the scrap blitz. You know, speaking of the, the Decepticons kind of taking a back seat, the guy who dies at the beginning, who Ratbat says he sent ahead with a package. Mm-hmm. Do we ever find out in this issue why, I mean, what his purpose on Earth? It seems like his only package is bringing the scraplets, and that wasn't intentional. No, he was bringing fuel because Ratbat didn't want to pay the money to do the bridge. He Was, was that all it was? It's just a fuel? He was not bringing fuel, and that is where I was going to... Have to respectfully disagree with you, Pat, uh, in that the triple changers did serve a purpose and it wasn't just to be enemies. They and, you know, rather than just summarize it, I'll just go to the page in the book. Hold on, give me one second. I've got the rat bat conversation in front of me real quick. Is that where you're headed? Mm hmm. And okay. so Ratbat was saying, and remember, an essential part of your mission is to and then the triple changers say, we know. Locate and enlist the aid of a fleshling, not just any fleshling blitzwing, one with lots of what fleshlings call bucks. And don't forget Octane, preferably one who's somehow connected with Earth's automotive industry. That sounds like Tony Stark. I mean, GB Blackrock. Yeah. <laughs> and right, right, be- right before that, one more thing. Ratbat was saying that. Although it is highly energy consumptive, I am compelled to reopen the space bridge and commission you three to find the package and bring it online. So the spacecraft has something in it. So that's probably going to play into the second half of the story next issue. Or or later on. Maybe not. Or or, or a future later on. Okay. Yep. It's safe to say that Ratbat brought this spacecraft to Earth with a plan. 
Having a spacecraft fly all that distance was less energy consumptive than the space bridge. Yeah. And so there's some package that was on the spacecraft that crashed and unfortunately was not able to be deployed immediately. And now the triple changers have the problem of being infected with scraplets. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Bob's good at this, right? Bob yeah, yeah. Just- he's laying. He's laying. Yeah, he, he'll let a seat there and, and just start watering it and letting it letting it grow. And I I do have an idea of what it is, but I can't say because I wouldn't be a gracious host if I did. Mm. But I had to let you know that the triple changers definitely did serve a purpose in this uh, in this book, and it wasn't just to be cannon fodder for uh, Blaster. Um, it, it I would say Goldbug, but Goldbug doesn't have a gun. Reminds me of two other sort of slow burn plant a seed and come back to it later um they did a slow build for the constructicons with the um with the matrix program and then the six bodies and what are you going to do with all that uh, you know after like three or four issues it becomes constructicons and also the um actually with the constructicon story they sent that message off into space and you don't know what that mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. takes them a good six issues or so to come back to it um mm-hmm. so yeah he does like to do these things where he's like okay plop this down here and we'll see what happens with it later. And I will also give Bob credit in that the storyline that is currently going on is so good. You didn't even really have time to wait, 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 wait a minute. What did, what was in the spacecraft? Like, because he never even mentioned, they mentioned a little bit at the start. Like, yep, I sent a spacecraft that crashed and go find out what happened to it. But we have not seen what's in it at all. Period. I didn't even think about it in the first read. It was in the second read before we recorded tonight, since it's been a while since we, um, since all of us last recorded, um, that I reread the issue. And that's when they were talking about the beginning. I was like, wait a second. What is that package? We don't know. And I guess we're not supposed to know yet. Mm -mm. Uh, That just goes to tell you that I didn't even catch, you know, I I knew there was something that he was, you know, delivering. I thought it was delivering fuel or, or something. Mm-mm. To give it Not to Megatron or to give it to whoever. Yeah, I, that's what was my whole thought. But that's how good of a storytelling that this is going on. I, I got duped. Mm-hmm. As as the military, you might hear, I do not know, but I will find out. And that's what's going to be for you two gentlemen. I actually think we've covered a lot in this book. Is there anything uh, that we missed or is there anything else that uh, you would like to bring up? I like the new guy who's with Goldbug. Blaster? No, Charlie Fong. Um, yeah, Charlie. Oh, is it Charlie kind of, or is it Andrew? I'm just on the last page. They're saying Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Were we saying Andrew earlier? I don't know. I, I may have absolutely screwed that up. So <laughs> Fong. I um, know Fong's you know, right. You know what? Just like Bruce Banner, Bob Banner became Robert Bruce Banner. This is just Charlie Andrew Fong. That's <laughs> I do Go think ahead. it's a is a good compliment, um, you know, better than you know some of the other ones that we've had lately of humans hanging around. It's interesting to see where his story goes. Do they keep him around, or is he just just for this and then leaves again? But just like it, but every, with every human, he has some sort of a you know, can what can I get out of it? I mean. It looked like he wasn't really interested in using the transformers. He just seemed to be one of those young up and coming got scientists mm-hmm. and he wanted, you know, to see things and have it happen now, 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 now. And his boss was like, that's not the way things work. And he was very, very determined to get down to that crater and figure out what was going on anyway. 
in the face of any danger whatsoever. So I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. time will tell whether or not that's a smart decision uh, for for Charlie. It is Charlie, by the way. I looked it up. He wanted um, fortune and glory. Yeah, fortune he looked like he wanted some fortune and glory. He got a lot more than he bargained for, that's for sure. But that said, I sort of liked his his quick turn because yeah. he never tucked tail and ran. He did his best to protect uh, Goldbug from getting infected by the Scraplets. And he also gave Goldbug a good idea of mm-hmm. strategically retreating and possibly finding a cure for these yeah. Scraplets. Yeah. Because he took one and he smashed and said, well, we can inspect it and figure out what's going on. So maybe that's a hint as to what the cure is going to be. Maybe not. As we're nearing the end of the story discussion, I, I, I was going to mention a couple of tidbits about how this was presented on the UK side, if you don't mind. Um, I don't mind at all. So the the UK issues will take a US issue and split it in half. So 22 pages becomes 11 and 11. And then they'll run a backup strip that reprints something else. Um, they were doing the, the new universe Spitfire and the troubleshooters series just before this. And I am blanking on what is being run in the backups right now, but that's okay. Um, oh, Iron Man 2020. Anyways, so this was issues 123 and 124. Uh, and if that sounds like a lot, it comes out weekly. And, uh, but since each issue has half as much material, it's like there have been 60 issues of story. And the amount of time that the U.S. has done 30 issues of story. So there is a lot more story going on over there. But 123 has a cover that shows the three triple changers because it chops off right as Charlie and Goldbug sneak past the dude, hand him blaster and say it's a seismometer and they're getting ready to go down into the pit. So we haven't even really properly seen the scraplets yet at the end of the first half. The second issue shows blaster and it's a picture of blaster. He's on one knee. He looks like he's in pain. And there's a little speck on his shoulder with like a zoom in panel, like a big mm-hmm. circle pointing to his shoulder. And that's where you see a scraplet like munching on some metal from his shoulder. Um, it's actually the same green round guy from the cover of the U.S. issue. But he's got like red metal hanging from his mouth, almost like um, Iker or awful coming off of his mouth. Anyways, um, so that's where you get all the uh, scraplet stuff fighting with the Transformers in the second half. Um, so. It's just it, you get a different perspective because you get two different halves of the story focusing on two different things. Yeah, cool. That is, it is nice to get that UK perspective too. Uh, so thank you. A lot of times, John will put it in uh, Transformer Spotlight, but it has its place here too. Thank you, we gentlemen. Should. Awesome discussion, y'all. Uh, we should move on. <laughs> But let's talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. John, who do you think had the touch for this issue? I am torn between Goldbug and Charlie Fong. Um, Goldbug shows the most initiative. He goes after Tony Stark. I mean, he goes after GB Blackrock, and um, he goes after the cure at the end. Um, he, I don't think that whenever he says to blaster at the end you left an autobot to die i don't think he was accusing blaster as much as blaster felt like he was i think he was just surprised and asking for clarification on what the story was and what actually happened there it just seems like a really hard thing that blaster had to go through so i felt like he was being more empathetic there than blaster took it as i don't know i really liked his role in the story so i'm gonna go with Goldbug. 
Nice, nice. I don't think you can possibly go wrong with Goldbug. Uh, Pat, who, who had the touch to you? I was torn, like John was, between Goldbug and Charlie. So he chose Joe Goldbug for those reasons I agree with. I'm going to choose Charlie. Uh, that way he gets to shine as well, too. I think, as I mentioned before, he had some great character moments. Just quickly, as we saw, as we were you know, brought to us, presented to us real quick, uh, you got to kind of care for him a little bit, knowing that he's, you know, young and wild and he wants to get all this information and be the one that discovers stuff. And then you see him actually interact with somebody that sees him. You know what I mean? That isn't putting this guy down. He's just like, no, man, we're here to help each other. And then they finally learn quickly to trust each other. Charlie turns and is right away saving what he can to get the scraplets away from Goldbug so they can kind of get out of there and then tells them, you know, hey, you want to save your buddy. I know you do. We got to go do it this way. We have to go do it this way. So uh, if I'm I'm going with Charlie on this one. Okay. I will. Uh, I, I agree with both of you, by the way, uh, with Goldbug and Charlie. They were both good. And I'm going to go on the flip side of the coin and I'm going to say Ratbat. Hmm. And Ratbat has a scheme that he's launched. And I like my Decepticons having schemes that mm-hmm. they're launching. So we're going to see uh, what that scheme is going to be maybe not this issue, but in future issues. And it kind of got, it got past Pat a little bit and John a little bit. And so it has me intrigued as to what you guys are going to think about what's coming up in the next few issues. And Ratbat has a huge part to play in that. But I am just a broken machine and I do things and so if we talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch, right? We talked about the character that was the worst in the book, the worst. And they should have to fall prey to a crippling disease due to indecisiveness, like they've never seen a horror movie or something. In the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. Pat, who was less than meets the eye to you for this issue? Felicia. GB's. Bye, Felicia. Yes. Goodbye, Felicia. <laughs> Come on, Felicia, you know, can see what you're doing here. If you would just hold out, you're talking to GB. He's the richest guy probably in all of Oregon. You know, he's the richest guy that's that's around. For all she knows, that VW could have started flying or something. It could have been it could have been like a super early model Tesla. She didn't even know. It was gold. It was driving a gold chariot back home. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Bye, Felicia. Absolutely. John. Who was less than meets the eye? Thief. Pat Gins. We hates it forever. You stole my out-of-touch character. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you go on a date with a guy, and, okay, you don't know why he's making you drive this car that is, you know, generally not as classy as you were expecting. Are you sympathetic? Do you care about why your, uh, you know, romantic a partner for the evening is is having difficulties with his car situations no you're just upset that you had to ride in a volkswagen or whatever that car is instead of your limousine and that gb had to drive it instead of a chauffeur and that it played music on that really large red tape deck for no reason but instead of showing any sympathy or empathy you just get mad and say don't call me i won't call you and we'll just pretend this never happened um so yeah, I had also chosen Felicia and I thought I was going to get crap for 
choosing somebody who only showed up in like six panels of the story. <laughs> um, so there's an irony, right? In that she was a gold digger, but she did not like being in the vehicle that was made of gold. You know what? <laughs> Less than meets the eye for me was the lieutenant whose name I'm not going yeah. to look up because like they stay having my junior officers look like complete dum-dums and I don't like it. Even though he fell for it, the zoo was like, yeah, I got this uh, trip the size of mama thermometer and <laughs> you should let me pass. And he was like, oh, uh, okay. but, but it does look like a boombox. It looks like, <laughs> no, yeah, no, like, no. Yeah, it looks like a tape recorder. No, it's not. It, it's no, he says, premise. yes, it's amazing. It's like when people say to Phineas and Ferb, aren't y'all a little bit young to be doing all this? Why, yes. Yes, yes we, are. we are. And they just do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I, I was not proud of the lieutenant for just letting uh, Charlie go because he had no reason to. Yeah. Like, my orders were to lot, not let anyone pass. It's like, but pretty please. <laughs> you, okay. You know, again, this is just another part of Transformers where you have some guy with some authority either guarding something or doing something where they just let people pass right through. Like it's no big deal, you know? Yeah. As of yet, I mean, at least they went from, you know, going with the army being complete duds to this time it was the national guard who were complete duds. So they're passing the military inefficiency around in this book. Now it's time for the ratings for the book. Same rating scale as before, one to ten. I get the feeling we're going to get some good ratings on this book. Uh, John, you are our also gracious guest who's also always been here, like since we started this thing. What what would you rate Transformers 29? Okay, so it had emotion. It had drama. Uh, it had past elements of people's uh, lives playing into and informing their their current developments it had uh, believable and interesting human characters that you care about this surprisingly had everything i would expect from i would want to expect from an 80s transformers comic and the surprise in that actually adds to the score for me um if this were an issue of like a 2015 Transformers comic, maybe I would feel differently about it and less, less amazed. But for a 1986-87 Transformers comic on the U.S. side, this was pretty great. I'm going to come out swinging with a nine. Nice swing. Nice swing, John. Pat, what would you rate Transformers 29? I'm going to go just a little bit lower. I went a little bit higher with John on the cover. Now I'm going to go a little bit lower and hit it with an eight. I did enjoy it. Um there was just a few things that were kind of quirky with it for me, but I agree. I, I'm still interested in finding out where the story goes. And I am at a nine. I think about it and it's like, man, this book had some, it had some good tension to it. We mm-hmm. don't know what the Decepticon plot's going to be. We don't yeah, the know. The seeds what, for the future are good too. Yeah. The seeds are planted. We don't know how Goldbug and Blaster are going to survive right now. Blaster is being tortured by triple changers. And they're all suffering from scraplet degeneration. And Goldbug is out in the middle of God knows where. And we have no idea how to cure this seemingly incurable disease. No idea. A lot of good plot threads. And then, like, we didn't even get to, they mentioned real quick that 
who knows what Grimlock is doing because they left Grimlock because they're like, oh, this dude's a dud. He is not mm-hmm. a good leader. He's not leading us in the right direction. So we hadn't even talked about that yet. We're just still on gold bug and blaster. So lots of good elements that were put in this book. And man, I'm very impressed with Bob who has come up with um, continuously good and entertaining stories. Speaking of Grimlock, tease for next month. Keep an eye on that corner box on the cover. Mm-hmm. Ooh. We will definitely do that. All right. We can and never will leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight. And I know that Jonathan Schaefer Haynes is not here, but he was so gracious that he still came up with a Transformer Spotlight. And I will not do an impression of him, but I will read it. And he did a Transformer Spotlight on Astro Train. His allegiance is Decepticon. His subgroup was Triple Changer, and his function is military transport. And his motto is, in confusion, there is opportunity. Creating confusion is his specialty. As a Triple Changer, he can change from space shuttle to train to robot almost instantaneously. He thrives on foes' panic and fear. As a shuttle, he travels at 20,000 miles per hour in orbit, up to 50,000 miles an hour out of orbit. He can launch weapons and satellites and carry cargo. As a train, his top speed is 400 miles per hour and a range of 1,700 miles. And as a robot, he has great strength and carries a powerful ionic displacer rifle. Strength is 8, intelligence is 7, speed is 10, endurance is 7, his rank is 6, courage is 7, his firepower is 6, and his skill is 8. And that is Astro Train, ladies and gentlemen. And now we will pause for this promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants. Cops, Black Ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. We now return to the Transformers. Now it's time for Transmissions, where we heap praise upon the audience for listening to us. Thank you all. We are talking about Transformers Chronicles Episode 27, where we discuss Issue 27. And we're going to read through the social media likes, shares, and retweets from Anik SRF Mode Sholahin and Helica Fetty Wolf. Antonio Guzman, Austin Kuykendall, Bigger Boys Toys, Blake Martin, 
Bob McCrell, Carlos A. Lopez Rojas, Charlie Green, Chris Bailey, Chris at BTO and Bad Books, Later Roll Down Highway, Chuck Rodriguez, Clint Robinson, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, mm-hmm. Daniel Apodaca, Daniel Tenorello, Danny Penny, David Mattioli, Dean Caldwell, Derek William Crabb, EJ Granger, Emmanuel Jabali, Fan Film Fridays, DDD, Felipe Medrano, Gene Hendricks, Gerald Minge, Glenn Peterman, Greg O'Rear, H95, which is Hannibal 95, Hokoff, <coughs> Ian at DJ1711, Jamie Hagen, Jared Hobgood Wynn, Jared Albrecht V, Yard Sale Artist, Jason Albrecht, Jason Cochran, Jeff DeCoteau, Joe Alvarez, Carl Jones, Kat Chateau, Kathy Bright, Kevin Christopher, Kirk Delgado, Lee Ortiz, Manuel Lopez Calvacante, Manuel Canete Mendoza, Mark Becker, Mark DeSimone, Mark Russell, Olivia L. Duffin, Philip O. O. And we did see that. Radlich Broadcasting, Relatively Geeky, Richard Bellusi, Rick Heineken, Samuel King, Sergio Vizcara, Sean Winger, Winger man, Winger, Steve Allen Elvidge, TFU.info, The Invincible, Dumega, Thermal Ross Mark, Unpacking the Power to the Power Pack because the Power Pack power can't stop, Bernard Jeffries, Vincenzo Polidoro, Win Stone, Zachary Carter. Wow, that's a big list. Yeah, it is. Thank you to everybody for those likes, shares. Like, y'all are awesome. Uh, a few social media comments from Hal Jordan says, Epic cover. Been heard from Hal Jordan in a while. So, dude, no. thank you for that. Um, Carlos A. Lopez Rojas says, Great cover also. And Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes says, An idiot posing with his really cool car in a senior yearbook picture. I have absolutely no idea what that's like. MWC podcast and, <laughs> and there's a picture of him posing with a pretty sharp vehicle from back in his high school days. That was very funny. Very funny indeed. Uh, if we happen to miss a few, we do apologize. Uh, we don't want to forget anyone. So if we did, please ping us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We will correct it in the next issue. And that is the show. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 30 where we see the cures for the scraplets. But will it be in time to save Goldbug and Blaster? If you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, Longbox Crusade. Same thing with YouTube. We have a do it live stream we do once a month, uh, every second Sunday. Uh, we are dropping additional stuff from the Patreon feed that kind of is old there, but we're going to put it on the YouTube channel. We just drop it in there from time to time. Jarrett does a creator spotlight every once in a while. I do a new warrior show with Jarrett called Come Out to Play, which is a new warriors podcast that we've done seven episodes now as of this recording. And it's been good. Like We would love for you to come along and join, join along with that fun. And you can also email us at crew. Ah, you can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Quick shout out to the Crusaders Club members. If you like to join, 
$1 a month is all it takes to ride along with us. And man, I guarantee you, you're going to see some swag come your way one way or the other, because if you hang around long enough, it will get to your turn and you get to hang out with us. And we throw a lot of mad hijinks and fun your way. And now finally, John, dude, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Uh, tell us about where you can be found in your podcast and all that stuff. Um, I am over on Twitter at John Reads Comics. There is no H in John. There is also no H in Reads or Comics. And um, I'm currently, I don't know when this is going to air, but probably still currently between podcasts. Make Ours Marvel has wrapped. There's 170 odd episodes of walking through the Silver Age of Marvel. We made it through about the first six or so years of the Marvel Universe, talking about everything in the order in which it was released. And that was really fun with me and Michael Kaiser. Um, after the first of the year, if you are a Superman fan, be on the lookout for Superman in Crisis. I recorded it this summer. It's going to be a journey through the uh, Superman adventures that were on the stands during the era of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I'm looking at every episode, every issue of Crisis and every Superman story that was published alongside them. And then afterwards, I continue all the way up to the end of that version of Superman with whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow in June of 1986. So that's going to be a journey through that era of Superman starting on January 3rd, 2022. So, yeah, those are my podcasts. I, I think you should take a little bit more time. Like you seemed a little bit shy about talking about the stuff that you're. Part of. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude, thank you uh, for that promo. And also thank you just for being on the show. We appreciate your help and your feedback. Thank you. Thanks so for much. having me on here. I really, really appreciate it. Any, any excuse to talk about transformers. Absolutely, man. Pat, where can you be found, sir? Well, Dylan, I am glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Delvin, where can they find you? I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y-1977. See you all next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are John. <laughs> Close <Hey, Delvin>. <laughs> You got the touch. You got the power Yeah All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Transformers Chronicles After I think that's Blaster's O face, upside down. That's yeah, yeah. Just just for the record, Pat, upside down O is still a no. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> After dark. I was originally going to do some sort of title that sort of played on to f- like TFUK. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I didn't know how to make that work in a way that A was funny and B also communicated Transformers UK so yeah you, you never know what type of like it's like man why am I getting all these one star comments and people's like this is not what I was expecting <laughs> I will not be subscribing to your fans only site after dark to me it looked like Blaster was in peril uh, not in I don't know, ecstasy? Can robots have ecstasy? You know what? I'm gonna keep this 
move past that. And after dark, in a world transformed, where things are not what they seem. It is a world of the Transformers. I have to do it even though John's not here. He enjoys me doing that. That's for you, John. All right. If you save them, and then he makes a little, like, Delvin track, and it's just like you... He's got your own Delvin Spotify list. After Dark. And his... Celeste. Oh, skill. Ah, and his skill is eight. All John put there is letters. So, John, when you hear this, boy, I was tap dancing. I remember those words. I don't think we're going to get through that. <laughs> <laughs> I got through it mostly and tripped right at the end, so <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Let me go ahead and end this. That is the show, everybody.